to chapter 13, from which I will read the verses 1 to 23, and the verses 10 to 23, counted to the text for this morning. Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He was ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, this is the text, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he has sown, what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell along among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. 
But one who has received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Just before he wrote those incisive words, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews had warned his readers that they must not fall into the same disobedience as Israel of old had fallen into, and so misentering the rest, that is, the land of rest, which Christ gives to his own. Israel's disobedience, he says, was her refusal to listen to the word of the Lord, the word that had come to them by way of the ministry of Moses. But Jesus came, and the ministry of Jesus, he says, see, the ministry of Jesus is far superior to the ministry of Moses. After all, Moses ministered as a servant, but Jesus ministers as Lord. You see, that is why it is all the more important now to listen to the word, the word of Jesus, because his authority is not that of a servant, but the Lord, Lord of all. Well now, it is in that context, you see, that we must understand what the writer of Hebrews then says about the Word of God being living and active. Remember, he wrote those words after Jesus' ascension. In other words, he wrote those words after Jesus had been crowned with glory and honor. You see, the reason he wrote this to the church, to the Hebrew Christians of his day, the reason for writing this lies in the fact that they knew that not only the word out there, but that the members of the church also, the members of the New Testament, New Testament or New Covenant Church of Christ's blood, yes, he knew that Christians were and are constantly threatened by the sin of disobedience. He knew that they, that we, face the sin of not really listening to and doing the word of our God. Well now, that reality, namely, that it is possible that members of the Church of Jesus Christ fall into the sin of outright disobedience 
to the word of God. That is a thing that disturbed the writers, the writer of Hebrews to no end. And so he warned them. Yes, he pleads with them. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. It is against the background of that word of warning that I would like to listen with you now to the message of our text. The text, you see, is a parable of the kingdom, which Jesus told and his explanation for the reason of the reason for parables. You see, Jesus uh, Jesus had been preaching the word of the Lord, the gospel of the kingdom in Israel. Mind you, he had done that for some time already. He had preached openly about the kingdom of heaven to Israel, the covenant people of the Lord. He had preached to them sermons such as the Sermon on the Mount, those sermons had been clear, straightforward preaching. And the people, it says, oh, the people were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. Oh, that was a wonderful, an awesome testimony, right? But Jesus, Jesus experienced also what the writer of Hebrews would later warn against. This, that people refused to receive the word preached to them. They refused to hear, that is, to heed, to do the word of the Lord as it had been proclaimed to them, to be sure. There were many followers, many people who followed Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, for example, came to hear him, to listen to what Jesus said. And great multitudes followed him as he traveled the land. Well now, some followed him because they liked his miracles. Others followed him because they liked the way he spoke. But, but only a few followed him because they really believed him, his word, his message. As a matter of fact, Israel's unbelief had come to a most defiant expression when the leaders of the people accused Jesus of doing his mighty works of healing by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. See, that, that is when Jesus began to speak to the people in parables. That is very clear from the opening verse of chapter 13, which says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and told them many things 
in parables. Well, no. A parable has been defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's okay, as long as the earthly story is then understood correctly. The problem is, however, that all too often the earthly story is not at all understood, precisely because it is read or heard only as a story. Consequently, the meaning of the parable for this earth, if you will, ah, yes, the meaning of the story escapes the listener altogether. When you keep that in mind, the question of the disciples becomes clear. You see, they sensed it right away. There is something different in Jesus' preaching now. They sensed it. There is something more going on here than simply the telling of a story, a story we call the parable of the sower. That becomes clear from the question they asked of Jesus. Why? Why do you now speak to them in parables? Notice they did not ask what is a parable? Because that they knew. The rabbis had taught the people with the use of parables. Think, for example, of the parable Nathan told David. Oh, yes, you can be sure. They knew what a parable was. But what they did not know, what they could not understand, is this. Why in the world... Did Jesus begin to speak in parables now? What was that all about? And what was he really telling the people with this parable of the sower? Well, against that background, a rather lengthy introduction I promise I will say to you, I'm going to speak on the mystery of the kingdom as revealed in the parable of the sower. There are two thoughts as follows. The reason for parables in Jesus' preaching and the meaning of the parable of the sower. A parable contains a message that is not immediately obvious to the listener. There is, if you will, there is something that is hidden in the story. The real point of the story is not immediately clear or noticeable. But the parable, because of its storyline, holds the attention of the listener. And yes, the parable wants to force the listener to react. The listener must ask, what does this story mean? Why is it being told? What does it say to me here and now? Think for a moment of that parable Nathan told David. 
The story about the poor man who had only one ewe lamb and the rich man who had taken that lamb. Remember, the rich man had taken the poor man's lamb, his one ewe lamb, because he refused to use one of his own lambs, of which he had many, to prepare a meal for his unexpected guest. When David heard that story, remember, he was very angry. As the Lord lives, he said, oh yes, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Well, as you know, that was exactly the reaction Nathan was looking for. Because, you see, that reaction permitted Nathan to drive home the point of his message to David in an unforgettable way. You, he said to David, you are the man. You stole Uriah's wife his one and only ewe lamb, while you had many lambs, many wives. And now Jesus has begun to speak in parables. And see, he too was looking for a response. He too wanted the people hearing him to ask what is he saying to me? What does this mean for me? Because he only by asking such a question would you understand something of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. Only by asking what does this preaching of the word mean for me? Can the word preached be a savior of life unto life for the hearer? Only when that is taking place, only so. Remember now, at this point in his ministry, Jesus was confronted with an awesome, yes, a frightening reality. This, the multitudes who were at times thrilled by his speaking and at other times enraged because of the word he spoke. See, the multitudes refused to ask themselves, what does the word mean for me? What does this say to me right here, right now? See, that's when Jesus began to speak to them in parables and to the puzzled question of his disciples as to why he now is doing that, Jesus answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You hear it? That answer is more than a warning. 
It is, in fact, a judgment. Jesus clearly distinguishes between his disciples and the multitudes who heard him. Think of it. Jesus says that his disciples have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. Oh no, they didn't have that of themselves. It has been given to you, said Jesus. But the fact is, the disciples were beginning to grasp what is in fact the very heart and core, you could call it the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of heaven. This, Christ and his ministry are central to the kingdom of God. And therefore, without him, you have nothing at all. Never, ever forget it. Without Christ, you have nothing. Oh, there were no doubt many things at this time that the disciples did not at all understand yet. As a matter of fact, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying about the secret of the kingdom in this parable. But about that troubled them. That's why they asked Jesus about it, and that is why Jesus explained the parable to them point by point. But the multitude, see, the multitude neither understood nor did they ask for an explanation of the parable. And see, that refusal to ask, that ultimate complacency, about Jesus and his word, that proved that the word spoken by Isaiah found its fulfillment in them. You understand? See, it had all happened before. Oh, yes, it had happened before that covenant people had simply refused to give heed to the word of the Lord. That had happened also in the days of Isaiah. Think of it. The people in Isaiah's day knew all about the Lord God and his covenant. Were they not children of Father Abraham? And they freely talked about God's love and forgiveness. Oh, yes, they sloganeered about peace, peace. But, but they refused to commit their ways to the Lord. They refused to listen to the prophets of the Lord, whom the Lord God had sent to call his people, his children of the covenant, to faith, to repentance. When the Lord God then called Isaiah to preach, she then he commissioned Isaiah with these words. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, 
but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. See, that is the word of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus now quotes. Oh, you can't miss it. This was, it is, both a word of judgment and a word of warning. But also, this is a word of love. This will be Jesus' last attempt to stir the people, to jolt them, to move them, to respond to him, to his preaching. Now they must ask, what? What does this mean? What is the Lord saying to me here and now, today? But the multitude, see the multitude did not react. Oh yes, they heard the story Jesus told. A nice, an interesting story it was. A story they thought they understood. A story they thought had nothing really to say to them. They were satisfied, content, at ease with what they thought they knew and understood about the word of the Lord. What more, what else could the Lord possibly have to say to them? So it is that seeing they did not at all see, and that hearing they in fact heard nothing. Neither did they understand. Once that is clear, you understand what Jesus says in verse 12. For to, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Remember now, this was said to the Lord's covenant people. This is said to the people with whom the Lord had dealt as he had not dealt with any other nation because he had made known to them his statutes, his word, which none of the others of the peoples knew. But, but if the covenant people, the people of the covenant, if those who are baptized, if we refuse to respond to the word of the covenant with faith and repentance, then they, yes, then we, then you will lose what you have. <coughs> Sorry. Oh no, you must not now say 
that those children should not have been baptized in the first place. Because that would mean that you reject, that is, that you refuse beforehand what God so graciously gives, what he gives to you, what he gave to you in Christ Jesus, namely his covenant of grace. Rather, you must confess that the covenant calls for, yes, that it demands covenantal obedience in every expression of your life. See, that, that is what the multitudes hearing Jesus refused to do. They refused to render covenant obedience. And we, we, are, we who are called to the obedience of the covenant, we must ask ourselves, where are we at? Where do we stand on this crucial question? Do we believe? Do we, do you believe the whole word as it has been given and proclaimed to you, to the church, to the children of the covenant, by the God of the covenant? Oh, the multitudes of Jesus' day were so very privileged. They could hear Jesus, the very Son of God, proclaim the word of life to them. And they could see his miraculous works. Many prophets and righteous people before them had longed to see what they saw and to hear what they heard, writes Matthew. But they, the multitudes, they were cold to it all. Well, against that background, the parable of the sower takes on a meaning, a power that moves far beyond the surface storyline. Our second point. We all know the story Jesus told, right? A farmer, he said, went out to sow some seed. You can imagine it was probably the spring of the year. That's when such things typically happened, and certainly in Israel at the time. But now, as that farmer was walking to his field, some of the grain fell along the path, probably a footpath running to or alongside of the field. Another part of the seed, said Jesus, fell in very shallow soil, so that probably was smooth on top, but rocky underneath. I once had a garden very much fitting that description, you can be sure. A third party, a third part of the, of the seed fell on ground that was covered with thorns. And finally, there's a seed that fell into good soil. You can just see it happening, right? You can picture that farmer broadcasting the seed with firm, steady movements of his arm and hand. And you can also readily picture what happened to the seed. The seed that fell along the path 
fell on hard on a hard surface. It didn't have have a chance to germinate. The birds came and ate it. The seed that fell into the rocky ground fell into shallow soil where usually seed germinates quickly, especially some rain falls and thereafter the sun shines. Such soil, because it is shallow, warms up quickly, which encourages germination and quick growth. But about it is also true Plants grown in shallow soil can take much heat. Prolonged hot weather will kill such plants because they are not able to put down deep, long roots because of that rocky ground. Then there is the seed that fell among the thorns. Such seed can typically grow for some time. But sooner or later, the weeds will outgrow the wheat and choke it to death. And finally, there's a seed that fell on good soil, which, because that soil was good, clean, deep soil, was able to produce a good crop. It produced grains at Jesus, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Well, that much of the story, everyone hearing Jesus could easily, readily understand. That wasn't difficult at all, you can be sure. But about what they did not understand is the answer to this question. What was Jesus really saying to them by means of that story? And they never bothered to ask. See, it never dawned on them that Jesus was really talking about the Word of God when he talked about the seed of that farmer. The seed is the Word, said Jesus. Neither did they understand that Jesus, talking about the soil, was really talking about the hearts of people, the hearts of those who heard the word. It never dawned on them that by talking about those soils, Jesus was really talking about them, about their acceptance of, about their response to the word that had been preached by him in their hearing. So it is a fact. The seed is the word of God. And see, that seed... The Word of God, that seed uncovers, yes, it lays bare the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Moreover, think of it, the sower in the parable is first and foremost Christ himself. And so, by extension, the sower is all who are called by God to broadcast, to proclaim the word today. In other words, the sower is the church. The sower is you who share 
in Christ's anointing. As we confess with Lord's Day 12, we all have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We are prophets, priests, and kings. Consider now the seed of the farmer, the seed he planned to sow. Oh yes, if you could have taken a look at that seed, it would have appeared to be very small, very insignificant. As a matter of fact, you would probably have thought that it was dead. Take a look at seed sometime. You would think it had no life, no life-giving power in it at all. It is dry and hard, and it indeed looks to be dead. But when that dry and hard seed is sown, then you know, yes, then you see that all along there was life in that seed. Then that life appears, then it springs forth. But now, just so it is with the Word of God, it to appear to be dead. You may have heard it said, there are people who talk about the Word preached as a dull thing, a dead thing, words and, and more words. But it is in fact full of life, it is the power of God unto salvation, says Paul. Remember it well. When the word is preached, when it is broadcast, then it always, always does something because it never returns empty to the Lord. That is, it never returns to the Lord without it having accomplished that for which the Lord sent it. Isaiah had said it very clearly, it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it, said the Lord. But about what, what it does, does indeed depend also upon the soil. That, oh yes, that is an awesome thing. People talk about church growth or the lack thereof. And surely that is a tremendously serious question. It is such a very serious question precisely because the seed, the word of God, the seed does not change. Think of it. That seed, it always has that life-giving quality no matter where it is sown. But, but whether it is able to come to fruit-bearing, see, that depends also upon the soil. But now, that secret, that mystery of the kingdom, Christ now explains to his disciples. Remember, they had been with Jesus a long time already. They had heard him preach with power. They had heard him preach the gospel of the kingdom, of that kingdom of which, of which he himself was and is 
the king. But the fact is, only a few people had actually become followers, disciples of Jesus in his day. There really was little evidence that the kingdom was growing. Surely, that was a disturbing thing for the disciples of Jesus. After all, it was the Christ, the Son of God, who did the preaching. How then would it be pretty soon when they, the disciples of Jesus, would have to do the preaching? Surely, surely you would expect that Jesus would have more and better results, wouldn't you? The disciples of Jesus simply didn't get it. Well now, the parable of the sower uncovers the secret. You see, it is true, Jesus, the Christ of God, had been preaching the word, and pretty soon the disciples would have to do the same thing, and many after them would be called to do just that. But, about the results would not always be as people might hope, or expect, or pray for. Why is that? The answer lies in the soil. See, there are at least four kinds of soil. That is, there are at least four kinds of listeners to the word preached. There are those whose hearts are hard as stone. They don't receive, they don't want to hear about repentance, and they don't accept the word of the kingdom as preached, because they will not, they refuse to think of themselves as sinners. And all talk about a transformation of life to Christ leaves them cold. They refuse to let the word penetrate their hearts, their lives. So it is, it's very easy for the evil one to come and snatch that seed, the word preached, away. Then there are those who do receive the word preached. As a matter of fact, they receive it with joy, says Jesus. Such are the people who gladly accept the promises of the gospel. Ah, yes, they find the gospel appealing and its promises rich and rewarding. But, but that the gospel also asks for self-denial and that it also means cross-bearing. See, that never so much has crossed their minds. Consequently, when tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. They never gave such a thing so much as a thought. They were, they are, superficial Christians. 
with a hallelujah here and a praise the Lord there. They show a lot of promise, but when the going gets rough, when things heat up a bit, see, then they wither and die. Because, you see, beneath a thin layer of soil, there was, there is, the rocky ground. So it is eventually revealed that such people were all along strictly concerned about themselves. God talk only interested them as long as they thought they might reap some benefits for the here and now. But their eyes, their lives, never focused on the glory of the Lord. Then there are in the third place those who hear the word and it enters their heart but about they never really give themselves wholeheartedly to the word. The heart of such people is really divided because when all is said and done they want to cling also to their earthly goods their position and their possessions and their place here. They are very much concerned with the cares of this world. So it is that questions of food and clothing, of peace and safety, of dress and hairstyle and good times here and now. Yes, so it is that such questions really consume them. And see, those all-consuming concerns, those cares of this world, they act like weeds that choke off and so kill the seed of the word. You may remember that Jesus had before this said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't build your own little paradise here and expect a place in the paradise of God hereafter. Such a lifestyle will prove to be unfruitful for the kingdom of God. And then, yes, then there is also the good soil. There are those who hear the word and it takes hold on them. And they grasp it. Yes, they do it because it claims their whole being. Now there is nothing, not the cares of this world, not persecution, not a desire for riches. Nothing is able to snatch them away or scourge or choke the word of God alive in them. That word is a power in their lives which directs their whole being to serve the Lord and they bear fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. Well, such is the story Jesus told. And now, 
See, now the question is, what about us, you and me? Certainly, you have understood that the first three listeners, types of listeners, all stand condemned. Unless, yes, unless they repent. Certainly, you have understood that only they who hear and do are blessed. You understand that all such are blessed because their life bears fruit in and for the kingdom of the Lord. We may well ask ourselves, where, where is the fruit? What have I done? Whom have I served? To whom have I ministered? Who saw, who saw the power of the word? Alive and active in me. I have heard the word of the Lord proclaimed for many years. What kind of listener have I been? Only you can answer that question. And answer it you in fact do. In and by your daily walk of life. May it be unto life, life eternal for you, today, forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we now come before you in prayer to ask of you that you write this word on our hearts, that we indeed may want to be people who live the word in our daily walk of life. May it be so, Lord, that people seeing us, having dealings with us, speaking to us may know that we are Christians, that we want to be faithful to the word of the living God, that we seek his praise, his glory, his honor, in all we think, say, and do. To then, Father, will you bless for Jesus' sake. Amen.